Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Good evening everybody, welcome to this new episode from the Stargate Archives. If you've been a listener to the podcast recently, you know I've been asking for people to join me on the show. Previous guests have expressed an interest and they will be joining us shortly. Hopefully getting a few new people onto the show and that is going to be the same for tonight. I have a new guest, we chat over Twitter and she expressed a preference to discourse an episode of Stargate Universe. Good evening Evie. Good evening, Mike. How are you? I am fine. Thank you very much. Delighted you got in touch with me, asked if you could be on the show. Well, actually, you said, why don't you cover this episode? (laughs) So I said, why don't you join me and do it then? And you said yes. I did, yes. And I'm very happy to be here. I noticed that you are a huge fan of the Mummy movies. I am, yes. I watched the first Brandon Fraser movie about six weeks ago. Really? What do you think? It's great fun, isn't it? It's amazing. It's what really, when I first watched it back when it was released, it really equipped my interest into graphic design. So that's a really great movie for me. (laughs) Ah, is that the field you're in then? Yes, graphic web design. Ah, right. (laughs) Any movie like that, the set design, the costuming, any other graphics for it, they've got to go above and beyond. You've got the basics to work from Egyptian mythology and the Egyptian culture, but... To get it to work on screen and within the confines of a, a movie budget, really got to work hard, I'd imagine. For its time, the visual effects on that movie was like one step beyond. The amount of green screen and CGI that they did for The Mummy was well ahead of its time. Yeah, well worth a rewatch if anybody's listening, especially if you're forced off to watch the Tom Cruise version. Oh, yes. <laughs> Even though they did reference The Mummy. Yeah, they did. Was it The Book of the Dead? The Book of the Dead, yes. Almost wish they hadn't done that. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't seen The Mummy 2, the sequel, for a long time, though. It's interesting. It's really interesting. I like how they hide some things. Although there was something in The Mummy 2 that they kind of, I don't know, they they kind of messed up from The Mummy 1. If you notice, in The Mummy 1, Rick has a tattoo. Yeah. On his left hand, he has, like, the eye of Horus between his thumb and his index finger. In The Mummy 2, it doesn't exist. Oh, that's terrible. It doesn't exist. <laughs> so instead of him having, you know, his tattoo from the first movie, they made some magical big tattoo on his arm that didn't exist in the first one. <laughs> I think it's kind of fun. With everything, you know, who would have thought there'd be podcasts or that level of in-depth reviews on YouTube for any movies made back then? Never. You watched it at the cinema. You could watch it on VHS, that newfangled DVD. but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You most feel sorry for producers and continuity and and things like that. Yeah. You know, back then, with the DVD releases, they would have Easter eggs. You remember those things? Yeah. That was pretty neat. Also, a side note, if you notice in The Mummy, I'm a sucker for costume design. (laughs) Evie's hats, the material around the hat. Yeah. The material on one of those hats that she wears gets reused again in the second movie. No. Yes. You know that black outfit she's wearing? Yeah. With the green, she has like a green belt made of cloth. That's the same material. Well, I never. That's one of the beauty things. You, you know, you read, read anything like that. IMDb, of course, a great, great source for all these sort of trivia bits mm-hmm. and bobs. And you watch a film and you think, oh, yeah, why did I miss that first time around? Mm-hmm. 
then you go, how did other people spot that? And then all of a sudden realise, I've watched Stargate X amount of times. Mm-hmm. There's other people that have watched The Mummy X amount of times. Mm-hmm. And we all have our favourite movie or TV show that maybe we can't quote verbatim, but we know every scene, we know all the highlights, we know all the little hiccups in production, or as you say, the Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. We all like something a little bit different. Yeah, we do. But judging from Twitter, at least, a lot of us like Stargate as well. Yes, really great show. Excellent. So what episode are we going to be looking at then? Okay, we are going to be looking at Stargate Universe Hope. Season 2, episode 14. So smack bang in the middle of when this series really, really found its feet. Yes, it was really interesting how this episode gave so much hope to so many characters along the way and tied everything up and then gained momentum, the whole story as a whole game. Yep. Right, this episode was directed by Will Waring and written by Carl Binder. Premiered in America March the 28th, 2011. Long time ago. <laughs> very long time ago. Yeah. It doesn't seem that long, though. It's a very fresh series. It's aged very well. Mm-hmm, it has. I really wish they would have gone into season three. Oh, they could have done a lot with what they had to build upon. Yeah, there was a lot of story there left. Right, we will kick off with a brief recap. Unusual, really, for Stargate Universe to do a big recap because it was very serialised. We get a flashback of Rush being criticised for when they reveal that he had control of the ship for so long. Mm -hmm. Uh, Young admitting that he killed Riley, Eli and Gin relationship, Amanda and Rush relationship, and Mm -hmm. the hints of an attack on Earth, which is the aftermath of where this episode takes place. Right. It opens up. I think they mentioned that they are... Six days after losing the communication stones. Right, yes. See, everything. So this is much the first time they have truly been alone. It didn't take Rush long after they first ventured onto Destiny to uh, start making contact in his own (laughs) inimitable fashion. Yes. They are currently uh, manning the comm stones round the clock. Corporal Barnes is there. Volker is also one of the, the guys present. He seems a little unsteady on his feet, so that's a hint of something to come. Yep. That's his I'm alright, but not really alright face. Yes, it's uh, it stands out because Volker is a pretty rock-solid guy. You know, obviously he's he's always been a little a little on edge, but that's more right. because of the circumstance. He's a, re- a reliable man. Mm-hmm. But then we, we're going to see in another scene how his mannerisms are with Brody. Yeah, it comes evident before... He eventually turns up in med bay that there's something wrong. Yeah. Chloe walks into the room. She takes over. It seems <laughs> to be, this is a job that nobody wants to be doing. It's long, tedious, boring, sitting around, waiting, hopefully, the communication stones to activate and to learn the ramifications of the attack on Earth, if any. If any, yes. We jump to the observation room. We get Rush and Eli playing chess. Beautiful scene. Very good colour tone. Yeah. Love the lighting. Surprising that Eli is being trounced, but obviously Rush points out that he's totally distracted. Trying to distract Eli again. Yep. Eli's heart isn't into it. You know, he's A, he's lost skin. B, the Earth might be damaged, destroyed. Worst case scenario is that the planet's uninhabitable. Good chemistry between the two actors, though. Very. Originally, very, very comfortable towards each other. Mm-hmm. Even if Rush was a little condescending, but even by his standards, yeah, I think he liked Eli. Yeah, it really shows. <laughs> yeah, it does. They only kind of uh, drifted apart when Rush realised that Eli was that smart. Right. 
Next scene, we go to Brody and Volker. Now, these pair, these pair were perfection together. They have such good chemistry and they bounce off each other. It flows. We think of in Atlantis, Rodney and Shepard or Zelenka and pretty much anybody. Mm-hmm. In SG-1, Daniel could bounce off any character in the series. But Volker and Brody, they, they were almost like brothers. Right. You kind of get that vibe, the way they bounce off each other. It's their timing. Yeah. I think it shows the fact that Peter Kellermus is a stand-up comedian, not by trade, but in addition to his acting. And I think they're just two very good Vancouver Canadian-based actors who work very well together. Mm-hmm. And to top it all, they're having a conversation about the music of 2001. It's a conversation that you've got to agree with... Brody was saying that everybody considers it the theme to 2001. 2001. Yeah, Volker was saying it was called Also Sprack Zarathustra by Strauss. Great piece of music. Very. I think of it as music to 2001 as well. So do I. <laughs> I knew it was by Strauss. I couldn't have told mm-hmm. you its name. Mm-hmm. But it's just easier to remember Odyssey. I suppose it's disappointing after the fact that so many classical pieces of music are directly linked to certain movies, certain TV shows. And the mm-hmm. original composers are lost in the midst of time, except to the people who are really interested in that sort of thing. Right. I mean, Beethoven's Fifth, that's a big dog, isn't it? It is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. Right, suddenly, communication stones, they make contact. And Chloe's not there. No, no. Oh, no. It's Gin, Julie McNiven. That's a bit of a surprise. A pleasant mm-hmm. surprise, but still a surprise. Very much so, yes. <laughs> and that's when they cut to titles. They leave you hanging for about 15 seconds as well. It's like, what's going to happen next? All right, we come back from the titles, short titles. Mm-hmm. I actually think it suits the show probably more than the long t- title sequence of SG-1 in Atlantis. Mm-hmm. That could be just getting used to modern TV productions, though. I like the music. The music is nice. Joel Goldsmith did a fantastic job on Universe. He did. It's, it's amazing. I wish they would release the music at some point. Yeah. They may not release it as a CD, but digitally, mm-hmm. you'd think it, that that would be a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day. Hopefully. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Right. Jump to the communication stones room. We see that Gin is in Chloe's body. Mm-hmm. Start asking her questions, interrogating her. Where were you? What happened? She was at Homeworld Command, you know, giving him some information on the Lucian Alliance. And then nothing. The look on her. She's totally confused. Completely confused. This is literally from one second to the next. She's not aware of six days passing. At all. Look at Eli's expression. Oh, poorly. Poor Eli. She says herself, how am I still here? Mm-hmm. She gets a bit of bad news as well. <laughs> yeah. Can't explain it. Meanwhile, Rush is in the background thinking. You can see the wheels turning. He's already grasped the implications of this. Probably before even the viewers do. Probably. All right. Then we jump to Volker. Patrick Gilmore walks in to have a chat with TJ. Now they've got control, well, at least partial control of Destiny, thanks to Rush finally. Cracking that code. Yeah. <laughs> Bless him. She's trying to learn some of the ancient medical tech. Not many instruction manuals lying about, so going to be a long time before she's comfortable using some of the tech. <laughs> Volker, though, he's not feeling 100%. You know, he needs a bit of sleep. Just a little medicinal, something that TJ had cooked up from various plants and herbs. So she starts doing the old apothecary. Yeah, that sounds about right. Close enough. (laughs) Close enough. 
some word pop into your head you think yeah that's a good word and then you try to pronounce it and you think i don't think i've ever said that word in my life yeah it's like yeah <laughs> you go to the pharmacy or the chemist yeah and they have like very complicated words yeah it's amazing how some people can just that are in that field can say it like it's nothing so while tj is mixing him up a little potion you hear a body just crumple in the background and she turns around and there's volker passed out on the floor down he goes two months hmm it caught up with him. It did. Volker has come round. This is where he admits he hasn't been feeling well for a week, a couple of weeks, okay, a month. And then it's revealed that before he got on board Destiny, he was taking blood pressure meds. And of course, he's run out and he never said anything. And now it's all catching up to him for not saying anything. I like the fact that DJ pointed out that there may still have been something she could have given him. Mm -hmm. If he had mentioned anything. Right. He should have said something. I mean, she probably could have cooked up some sort of municipal herb recipe, especially now that they have access to the database. Could have been anything. Just something to relieve any symptoms that he was feeling. Right. But now it's really caught up with him. See, honesty is the best policy. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, it's not as if he's going to be drummed out of science post on uh, Icarus or anything. He's and... really got nothing to lose except revealing some of the truth, which may actually save his life long term. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is something particular to Volker, or you could argue that it's a male of a species who thinks they know best, so just keep quiet. Mm -hmm. A stiff upper lip, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But then again, you remember Sergeant Spencer? Exactly, from one of the earlier episodes. Yeah. He was on some sort of antipsychotic medication. He was keeping mm -hmm. that quiet to his actual man chain. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, he lost his life. Exactly. Credit to the writers and Josh Blacker. Because I don't think anybody liked Sergeant Spencer. So when they actually slapped it down, this is what was happening, you think, oh, right. And then you feel terrible for not liking him because the poor right. guy was going through hell. He was. But they did a good job at making him not likable. Yeah, they did. Back in the communication room, they were admitting that the fact that they still don't really know how this technology works. <laughs> Questioning whether the consciousness that is being transferred, is it being stored locally? When you lose connection, is that lost or is it the old equation that energy is neither lost or created, it's just transformed? Like a radio wave somewhere. Yeah. Kind of hitting a brick wall. They don't know really what's happening or why it's happening. Or they know that Yin is back in Chloe's form. That's all they know. They're basically just spitballing theories. It's very sci-fi, which is what you want. Exactly. Especially in a series like this. Right, we jump to Volker's quarters. TJ's making a house call. It's bad news. He's got renal disease. Kidneys are failing. Unfortunately, as she says, this sort of uh, condition, the symptoms only show up really when it's too late to do anything about it. Tea leaves could have helped in earlier. <laughs> said something. Good old tea leaves. Yep. At this point, dialysis, a transplant. With decent medical attention, you know, your standard of living would be fine until you got on, on, you know, on the transplant register and had a more invasive procedure. At this point, none of the ancient tech will help them. So they're in trouble. They are def well, Volker is definitely in trouble. Yes, for sure. The look on his face when she tells him. Well, you survive all this and then you find out that you could be dead in a month or less. Yeah. It's not as if the writers were running out of ideas, but they are going to kind of be looking at this sort of situation a little bit later in the series. Mm-hmm with even more devastating results. 
We are in one of the corridors of destiny. Eli and Gin are just walking. And, uh, well, she plants a smacker on Eli. Look at that. <laughs> yes. It's been a while. Well, to her it hasn't really, but why not? Why not? And to be honest, Eli is incredibly awkward about it because this is Chloe. And he has his own history with Chloe. He does. He certainly does. It's like a sisterly type. At this point, yeah, definitely. At this point, yeah. He reveals the fact that while she was gone somewhere, wherever, they actually found the planet where they buried Gin's body. They had a ceremony, words were spoken. Eli's almost in tears as he recounts this. It's like he's reliving it in his mind. Yeah. It's devastating. Yeah, it's not difficult to see how committed Eli was to Gin. She was probably the first true romance that Eli had at stage of his life. It went deep. Mm-hmm. I mean, he okay. fell hook, line and sinker. He did. Someone that was worthy of him in every aspect. We saw Gin. She, I won't say she cold-bloodedly murdered somebody, but she acted when she had to to protect herself, protect her people. She was intelligent enough, committed enough to work with the Destiny crew, to work with Eli. Eventually... Her own people killed her because she was cooperating. Simeon. Uh, Simeon. Oh, Simeon, man. <laughs> no good, no good. <laughs> Another great episode, Malice was. Oh, it was, yes. Very, very Western theme. And all of a sudden she starts choking. Oh, boy. Even more problems being uh, shoveled onto everybody on, on board ship. Mm-hmm. You just keep adding up. We take her to the med bay. TJ said there's nothing physically wrong with her. It's raised that, well, she was strangled, wasn't she? she? That's how she was murdered. So is this psychosomatic? Is she having a flashback? Is her body reacting to something her mind is doing? Is Chloe's body, I should say, reacting to something Gin's mind is doing? Convoluted, complex. Situation. It's very interesting to speculate what can actually be happening. Yeah, at this point, we really, really do not know. We do not know. We get a quick chat between TJ and Young. Reveals that Volker has got serious problems. Then we jump back to the med bay. TJ is looking through the crew manifest, doing some blood tests. He's found 18 people on board who are compatible. Gray's one of them, and he's he's up for it straight away. I'm here, Doc. Let's go. Scott, a little more reticent. Yes, he's very hesitant. But Greer just jumps feet first. He is that sort of character. Yeah. Given any chance to serve, he will. He will. He's very selfless. I love the cinematography in this scene. The the windows, usually bright light source. You can see mm-hmm. the grime on the windows as well. You're getting a very contrasty image, almost silhouette of Gin and Eli as the camera looks behind them towards the windows. I thought it looked fantastic. It's really, really well put together, that scene. Yep, and you just get the two of them, kind of reinforce kind of positive vibes between each other they're not going to lose you again either Mm -hmm. one of them could have said that either one Mm -hmm. and it would have worked yeah the thing is they have such great chemistry as actors follow them on twitter and instagram you know the two of them seem to be friends in real life Mm -hmm. right we are back with young and rush rush is explaining uh, some of the procedure that uh, he might be attempting with chloe and gin also, he's going on about Volker and the risk to the crew for one man. I love the fact that Young, Young is 
instantly suspicious. <laughs> Are you compatible? <laughs> Expecting Rush to say yes, but that's not the point. Right. But can you blame him? Unfortunately, with Rush, you know he, he could think up any excuse not to do something he didn't want to do. Right. He'd throw anybody under the bus. Mm-hmm. You've got to love him for that. Robert Carlyle created such a complex character. He really did. So many layers. And yet, I think Rush, amongst the fan base, is still one of the most popular characters. He really is, yeah. A lot of, he, he has a lot of fans. In the middle of this conversation, Chloe pops back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we want. It's amazing how they, how they shot this. How it cuts in between her and Gin. I think everybody involved with Universe served on Atlantis or SU-1 at some point. And even though Universe was shot very differently to the two previous shows, they were experts at what they had to work with and what they could do. Yeah, they just had a rhythm going. Yeah. Chloe begins choking. Gin reappears. Where did you go then? Oh, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Oh, they pop out of anywhere. Yeah. So we've basically got two consciences sharing one body along with the host consciousness. So a three into one at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit schizo. Yeah. Gin changes to Chloe. I like I like the little touch that I suppose they couldn't do too much, even though they're both wearing the same outfit. It's obviously it's Chloe's outfit because it doesn't look right on Gin. Right. It's a bit longer. Yeah. I mean, really, it, it should look identical, but the very fact that the two women are different sizes isn't really nothing you can do about that. Right. Gin changes to Chloe. They get in touch with the stones. They are still active. This is nuts. Every viewer agrees with that sentiment. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) And we jump to the med bay where we get Dr. Park. It's wrong to say one of my favourite characters because I don't... There isn't a character on board that I don't like. Mm -hmm. They are just so wonderfully portrayed, wonderfully written interaction is fantastic it's all like they're very human you can relate it's relatable yes very much so atlantis and sg1 they always had a little bit of the fantastic about them to -hmm. allow them to do what they could do yes dr park played by jennifer spence she's reading some of the symptoms of renal failure including erectile dysfunction everybody looks up brody volker's best mate suddenly bursts out laughing Everybody else starts laughing. Volker, why is that funny? (laughs) Still a lot of other potential post-operative drawbacks. Infection, high blood pressure, erectile dysfunction. (laughs) Why is that funny? Justin, it's so funny. I wonder if that was actually in the script or if it was added later on. It wouldn't surprise me if a lot of the dialogue was Peter and Patrick just winging it. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the benefits of using, especially filming on digital digital format. You don't have to worry about wasting very expensive film stock. You can leave mm-hmm. the cameras running. You can catch 30 seconds before you call action, 30 seconds after. You never right. know what you might get. That's true. Especially when you've got actors who are comfortable winging it themselves. Mm-hmm. Back to the stone room. Rush, Eli and Young are having a discussion discussion about the transfer of energy. Uh, is it possible to actually transfer the consciousness into a computer? Well, we've got a good idea that it's very possible given what happened in the first season. Exactly, yes. And Franklin, 
Yeah, poor Franklin. I know. <laughs> he had it rough. Very. TJ is saying she's got a four antigen match with two members of Destiny's crew. An ideal world, there would be a six antigen match, which would normally come from a blood relative. Two men involved are Greer and Morrison. Morrison, it looks like he wants any excuse not to do it. Greer, as you said, I'll do it. Feet <laughs> first, I'll do it, I'll do it. Yep. Incident volunteers, what a guy. Mm-hmm. Another character they didn't want you to really like, or at least kept him a mystery in the early season. Mm-hmm. But as they revealed some of his backstory, as you got more evidence that he was loyal to a fault with people he, he trusted and respected. That he was. He had many layers to him later on. And we move on to the bone marrow sequence, which, oh, oh hear me. Yeah. <laughs> Squeamish. He's not worried. <laughs> <laughs> At all, at all. Although I have to wonder, again, at some point, that was like ad-libbed by him. When they go and, when she pinches him, and he makes a note, like he's dying. Oh, yeah. You've got Park and James holding him down. It's going to hurt. I'm, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. He braces himself. You see the very big, very big bore needle. That's a mm-hmm. big needle. That is very painful. Just to look at it, it's like, ooh, no. Nope. You see this sort of procedure on a modern medical show mm-hmm. and it doesn't look like we've come up with any good way to do this yeah not yet like when they take it was it a, a lumbar puncture mm-hmm. i've seen on episodes of house er and things like that it, it still looks like all they do is numb the surface of your skin then stick a great big rod into your back oh yeah i know not good uh, hopefully in the future it'll be easier and less painful <laughs> so as you say as the needle gets closer he yells out in pain (laughs) everybody around him jumps startled panicking and he just (laughs) sorry (laughs) it's like i was kidding i was kidding (laughs) i wonder if that was for them or for his own benefit yeah i I think maybe he was trying to just take some of the tension off make everybody feel a little bit better probably back with eli gin changes to chloe again incredibly awkward between the two of them Super. Amanda pops up. This is where Rush is actually told Amanda's here and he sprints the length of the ship. He's running. He's jumping over things. He's pole vaulting. (laughs) This is his day. This is, as you said, the moment Gin appeared, he was thinking this was possible. He was, yeah. Back on the bridge, he brings up the use of the chair. It can isolate consciousness. A mind can be uploaded, like Franklin. This seems to be a surprise to most of them. This is probably one of the things that Rush actually hasn't told them. He's kept it to himself. Till now. It was one of the early mysteries of SGU when the room filled with mist and the mist vanished and no Franklin. And nope. Where's he gone? And then, Before. of course, he appears as himself on the bridge. And the question was, is he a hologram? Is Rush delusional? You don't know. At that point, we didn't. We're getting... Revelations that Destiny is capable of a great many things. That we are, yeah. Slowly learning bit by bit. Yeah. I love the fact that Jung says it's always the chair with you. And he's right. How many times has Rush championed the use of the chair? No matter what cost. I've lost count. (laughs) He's obsessed. (laughs) He is obsessed. Yeah, he is. Yep. Technology, he knows that can do something that will benefit him. And he's willing to sacrifice anybody to get it. Pretty much. (laughs) The med bay, old-fashioned steam to sterilise the instruments. Volker and Greer, both of them are in great spirits. Yeah. 
they're both well they're not strapped down but reasonably secure both on gurneys yeah. volker is telling anybody that will listen about his backyard how he loved just to sit on his backyard drink a beer look up at the stars how he misses it and you see on Greer's face that he didn't even have that yeah it's a way it's heartbreaking because we know some of Greer's background he he joined the military pretty much straight from high school he didn't have a great family environment that simple pleasure of sitting on your own backyard doing whatever you pleased was always denied to him it was yes you could see it on his face when he's just listening to him and they're just having a moment out there with, with nature and the stars and the sky. Yeah. There's a little sequence with Chloe. Go straight to the observatory, though, where TJ is. She left the med base. She needed a bit of time to herself. You can see the pressure's getting to her. What... She's under pressure, for sure. Yeah, she's got basic medical training. She never expected to be doing anything like this. Even on a battlefield, it'd be basic triage. She wouldn't be expected to actually replace anybody's kidney. It's a combination of everything, anxiety, concern, fear, failure. But this is where Jung kind of earns his pay for the month. Right. And it's not much of a pep talk, really. It's more like, you know, you have to do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're the only one that can do it. You're going to do it. It may not work. If it doesn't, if you don't do it, he's going to die anyway. Right. So. <laughs> exactly. Off you go. The cinematography in that scene is, is amazing, too, because it like it pulls away. You see her just sitting and then the whole the whole area and the color tone again is really great. It is an incredible green screen set. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, you see hundred million dollar movies that haven't got green screen as good as that. Yeah, it's true. Which is rather depressing, really. <laughs> Back with Amanda talking to Rush. He explains that he's going to attempt to give her a fresh start. There's technology, there's opportunity to put her mind into a new body. Funnily enough, Eli has pretty much the exact same conversation with Gin later on. He does. This is amazing. Again, another hope, hope little ad lib in there. Yeah. Amanda, it was almost, you say, a gift from God, the ability to inhabit somebody else's body, to take a break from her wheelchair be free of pain to be fully functional even in somebody else's body mm -hmm. an opportunity that she could never imagine would have appeared right yeah she never would have had the chance of course you wonder at some point she had to go back to what she was and was that brief few days worth was the joy of that worth the heartache of having to go back that's an interesting point it's like she said she's gonna have to wake up i don't think she wanted to wake up Almost at the point where she'd been like this for so long, she'd forgotten what it was like to be fully functional. Whereas right. now those memories are going to be with her as fresh as a daisy. Yes. Medbay again. No Volker or Greer. <laughs> she... Where'd they go? Yeah, where'd they go? <laughs> and they've gone to the huge glass dome, the Arboretum, mm -hmm. which is full of plant life now. It's amazing. Beautiful garden. And there's a nice little bench as well. They both go and sit down on there, taking the, must be a really oxygen-rich atmosphere, good environment, comfortable, great view. Greer, just you and me, we're going to be fine. Reassuring. Very brief. And you believe him. Yeah. It's Greer. <laughs> Greer, you got to trust him, right? Yeah. Feet first. <laughs> you know, he's, he's a straight-shooting guy. You know, if he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, yeah. <laughs> I love the set design, though. The set design here looks really great. All that greenery. Yeah. Shame what happened to it. 
I know. Yeah, but it shows you, though, how far they've come in 18 months. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even less in showtime. I'm not exactly sure, to be honest with you. But as the two men are sitting on the bench, the camera pulls back a bit and we hear some music building in the background. <laughs> Based on a sea. Yeah, the theme to 2001. And I'll hold my hand up. I thought this was soundtrack music. Really? You two? <laughs> this was the score to the show. So you're getting the close-up of everybody. Mm-hmm. Volker on the bed. Uh, TJ, James, Park, all those, the music's welling up, and one by one, they look to the back, and there's Brody with his iPod <laughs> <laughs> playing the music, and it clicks. Oh, he's playing the music. Oh, that's when you realize, okay, this isn't the score. Oh, you're brilliant. Absolutely oh. brilliant. And <laughs> he goes, uh, yeah, not very soothing. So he goes and picks it up and starts changing things. And then he gets a bit of kind of, was it Spanish pop music? Dragosta mm-hmm. Dinte from a band called Ozone. I know the song. I had to look up who actually performed it. Mm-hmm. Interesting playlist that Brody has. Yeah. <laughs> that might be something he didn't want publicly known. <laughs> Either way, you, you get the comedic aspect. So many people have watched a bit of Stargate Universe and said there's no humour in it. All the humour that was in SG-1 Atlantis is washed away in universe. And it wasn't. It wasn't, no. It came back big time. It took the it... writers a little while to settle all the characters down. But Brody, magnificent. The way he's flinging that iPod around, trying to get the off button. Like, embarrassing. Shut up. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> the batteries go flying out as well. Oh, that's it, quiet. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you got to wonder, though, how it keep recharging the batteries. If those batteries are rechargeable or if they're, you know, just regular batteries. I think when they first found those induction plates, didn't they? Mm-hmm. That could recharge ancient tech, also some of the rechargeable stuff that they had. So we've mm-hmm. got to assume that they are rechargeable batteries. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, then just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to give a little bit with any science fiction or fantasy series. That's true. Things yeah. that you would criticise on a crime procedural, you've just got to let go. Mm-hmm. Right, we jump back to Gin. How will I live? She asks. Alive, but in the ship's computer. And Eli asks a simple question. It can be enough. And then just pauses. Can it? And it's at that point you see all the worry comes on his face, realising that Gin may not see this as a solution or as something she wants. She might literally say, just throw the switch. I don't want to live like this. I can't Mm -hmm. live like this. Even though Eli is thinking, I've got Gin back. Right. Not in the physical form, but she's not dead. Right. Unfortunately, she's back choking again. And it's not good. Yes, it's definitely taking a toll on Chloe's body. You can really see it. We'll skip the little scene in the med bay where the surgery is going on. We're in the chair room. Gin is strapped to the chair. The scanner indicates there are three patterns in her brain. Three very definitive consciousness one dominant, which Rush believes has got to be Chloe. This is where, of course, nothing nothing can go wrong now, is it? No, no, no. Yeah, Young, have you started? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Half an hour ago. Why didn't somebody actually tell the commander of the ship that they're actually starting this delicate procedure? So don't turn anything off or reset anything. No, don't, don't. <laughs> Tech Chloe, they've got to do the procedure now. They activate the chair. Those really, really ominous-looking probes come down. We get some flashbacks, 
sparks, explosions, the computer of destiny, the AI, whatever you want to call it, mm. malfunctions, hiccups, a power surge, all sorts. They don't really know what the hell's going on. The result, though, is all the medical systems shut down right in the middle of the surgery. Really? Really? Oh, that chair. That chair. Yeah. You've got to think that the ancients knew what they were doing when they are building it. Mm-hmm. But they, ha- they had a, a very well-defined specification for its use. Mm-hmm. And so far, I don't think Rush has ever come close. <laughs> Young orders Rush to turn the chair off, regardless of the consequences whether the procedure is going to kill Chloe, Gin, Amanda, or anybody, turn it off now. He does. There goes Chloe. That's right. Yep. Chloe's back. Yep. And she uh, looks exhausted. Looks like the chair really got her. Is this permanent, though, or is this <laughs> only a temporary fix? They don't really know yet. Back in the med bay, Brody's working on one of the consoles. Power's still out. They're trying to get scanners working. And this is when... Amanda appears to TJ. Again, the lighting in the scene is pretty amazing. Yeah, the cinematography of Stargate Universe is perfection for television. It gives you all the depth, or the shadows, or the contrast you want without losing any of the detail. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've seen so many shows where, to save, I don't know how much money, they film scenes in the dark, so any CGI they have to do doesn't mm-hmm. have to be as good. But that impacts everything. Even shows that I love watching, I criticise as much as I can get away with because cinematography, thanks to the budget, isn't what it should be. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that aside, mm-hmm. Amanda appears as not a hologram, as and not as a hallucination. She's just as Franklin was, and she talks to TJ. TJ looks around, nobody else can see Amanda but she listens to Amanda because Amanda knows what needs to be done and she follows the instructions. The lighting is... I just wish we could see more of Amanda's outfit. You basically just see her face throughout the whole thing. Really interesting how they shot that. Would she be wearing Gin's outfit? Would she be wearing the last thing she wore when she was on board Destiny? Mm-hmm. Would it be Chloe's outfit? Because Franklin always wore that white shirt that he was wearing when he died. Right. You don't really know. Back on the computer system. Two new programs have suddenly appeared in Destiny's memory bank. One of them, in fact, is active somewhere on the ship right now. Doing what? So that must be Amanda. <laughs> Thankfully, he doesn't turn it off. Chloe wakes up. She says, I'm all right. Back to the med bay. Greer looks like, well, he's not fine. Definitely <laughs> Bul- not. <laughs> is not fine, but TJ says there's an infusion of stem cells. Mm-hmm. Whatever cell or blood vessel, whatever he needs. It's going to bond to him and help with the recovery process. Yeah. Volker is a little worried that he may may reject the kidney. Greer says, You won't reject it. Great, no pressure. You won't. Volker says, okay, no pressure. You won't. It is law. I have said so. Exactly. Greer has spoken. His car looks brutal. It does. It's more real that way. You see, you see the risk. Communication stones... And we have a new visitor, Colonel Telford. So they finally got through to Earth. They had a problem with their comstones, which they had to fix. Okay. <laughs> and everybody's fine on Earth, which is... You were hoping for something a little more dramatic, maybe? Yes. I mean, there was some damage to Homeworld Command. Mm-hmm. Obviously not huge, but enough to take the stones out of commission for a while. They were, I imagine, fortunate that interface wasn't totally destroyed. 
confirms that the the big bomb was defused thanks to the senator. Was it Senator? I can't remember her name. Senator Michaels. Yes. Mm-hmm. And on the bridge, Rush is talking to Amanda. How do you feel? And she says free. Hints of tilk, maybe. Mm-hmm. Also from the fact that Amanda knows she will never return to her body. Whatever she's got now is better than she had and the prospect of something better in the future. Exactly. And you could see it in, in her eyes. Yeah. She was satisfied with the result. It was. We jump back to the med break, <laughs> med bay. Volker, Brody and Park. Brody, have you peed yet? Volker, indignant. What sort of question is that? <laughs> pretty relevant, really, when you've had a kidney transplant. <laughs> pretty, yeah. It's pretty kind of important. He's incredibly embarrassed because we know he has pretty strong feelings for Park. Mm-hmm. Haven't been reciprocated because we know from early on Park, Park got around. She did. <laughs> That's putting <laughs> she, it mildly. <laughs> she took her pleasure wherever she could get it, including Greer. Yes. At this point, we don't know really how committed she is to any one relationship. Although those two have remained an item. There's definitely hints that Greer and Park are still an item. Mm-hmm. Either way, Volker's giving Brody the nod. Brody obviously realises, oh yeah, uh, I'll go and do something, leave you two alone. Park says, I'll help you get some exercise. Volker is happy. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is where Greer says, oh, uh, Greer's told you he might get an infection. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing on his face. No. He's done his thing, he'll, he'll recover, he'll be fine. He'll be fine, he said so, it'll, it'll happen. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Then we return to, I think this is the Kino room. We don't see this small set very often, but this is where we were used quite a lot in the first season because Eli took control of the Kinos. He, he found himself a job. Mm-hmm. And he's having a chat with Gin, who's back in a Lucian Alliance leather outfit. I assume that is a personal choice. You know, she can appear pretty much whatever she wants to look like. Mm-hmm. She probably knows that Eli quite likes that look on her. <laughs> He asks her if this is enough for her, and she confirms. Just being here, seeing you, hearing your voice, it is enough. The question that was unanswered earlier in the episode. But when she reaches for him and then realises that she can't really touch him, just the look in her eyes. Yes, you know, certainly not taking the positives away from this as Amanda has. Mm Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons. Right. There's still hope for these bit. It's a hope on the level of science fiction that's going to take some sort of bizarre technological miracle or divine intervention. But for now, Gin is still alive and Eli has still got the love of his young life. Exactly, and he can communicate with her. Yeah, which is more than he had before. Precisely, yes. So there's hope there. There is indeed, yep. And that's where the episode ends. That's all she wrote. A very... Very good episode, both on drama, humour, incredible chemistry between the characters, great writing. It's difficult to praise the directing because it is so... The level of directing throughout the series is so high anyway. Mm -hmm. Incredible for one episode to stand out by the efforts of the director. Mm -hmm. It's gotten to the point where you look more for things to criticise and to praise because there are so many great things. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, each episode builds upon itself and builds onto the next one, the next one, the next one. It's kind of hard to choose. Yeah, it was great to see Julie McNiven back. Loved the actress. So delighted to see her back. And it's science fiction, of course, he wasn't dead. 
there's always possibilities. Of course, always. We should never dismiss a character's death in this sort of show. Never. Never. No. <laughs> in sci-fi, anything is possible. We've seen alternate realities in SG-1 and Atlantis. Mm-hmm. So we get characters the same but different, you know, so... Mm-hmm. We do. What could Universe do with that, we wonder? Hmm. <laughs> Possibilities are endless there. There are indeed. Right then, folks, that was Stargate Universe. Phenomenal episode. One you can watch time and time again, even though, obviously, it's very dependent upon the serialised nature of the show. You may not get as much from the characters, but even as a one-off, there is enough interaction. You understand what all the characters are about, even just watching this one episode. Greer, Greer's Greer. He is. He's very selfless. <laughs> yep. Overall, a fantastic episode. And really? an excellent pick, Evie. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then, folks. I will say again, if anybody listening wants to come on the show, uh, get in touch, pick an episode of Stargate from any of the three live-action series. Note, I am leaving out Stargate Infinity, because I'm never going to watch that. I've watched the pilot more times than I care to mention. I have no interest in watching the show. I know some people have, but it's so different from Stargate. Might as well not be called Stargate. Anyhow, if you want to be on, you can get in touch with me uh, via the email address, stargatearchives at gmail.com, uh, via the website, stargatearchives.com. We are on Facebook and Google+. Plus. Google+, Plus for now, because that is going to go bye-bye soon. On Twitter, and we are still under the old at the gatecast. And we are also on Tumblr. Feel free to get in touch over about anything. I'd love to hear from you. Next week, or next time, I should say, because I've long since stopped releasing content on a weekly basis after nearly 10 years of doing so for the Gatecast, I'll probably be joined by maybe Brad or Ian, who have committed to recording some shows over the Christmas holidays with me. Evie, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a delight. Likewise, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Did you ever... Sorry to ask... (laughs) Did you ever get into, like, the collecting aspect of Stargate? I've got a few bits and bobs. I haven't got any autographs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I've got a nice little Stargate LED backlit. Oh. Some little Jafar Warriors guard in it. That's cool. That's next to uh, some of my Star Trek models. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's there's a lot more Star Trek merchandise. Did you ever get into, like, the new comics? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bought all them digitally. Yeah. Great story. Interesting where they took the universe, but yeah, that may be all we ever get of it. So we'll just yeah. embrace it. Don't, don't deny yourself it. Yeah, it's true. Okay, then let's wrap up. You want to give your Twitter contact information if anybody wants to follow you? Sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at GWalksAway. Uh, do you have a website or anything? I don't know. Sorry. No worries. <laughs> okay, then, folks. Thank you very much for joining us tonight for... Stargate Universe Hope. Like I said, I can't tell you what's going to be next because it hasn't been recorded yet. But not to worry, there will be something coming next because I'm going to be recording quite a bit over December while I've got a few days off work. Evie, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much, Mike. Really do appreciate it. No problem at all. Everybody else, take care. Good night. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.